0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance
1: for W D D. Yes. His comments. Derby in front.
2: Well, 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 Rams fans, Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County fans podcast is back, and it is fair to say Chris has timed a well-deserved rest quite nicely. I'm Richard Kutcher, back from an extended international break of my own, and with me is Tom Martin, who is getting ready to go back to school. Hello, Mr. Martin hi there i'm just uh, putting the knives away from giving them a good sharpen <laughs> uh while newly wed and back from his honeymoon anton was brought back down to earth after crawling in and out of brentford's four corners on
1: saturday welcome anton hello let's only hope this goes better than uh saturday
2: let's hope so indeed in sbw60 we'll hold an inquest into what went wrong at griffin park a truly horrifying away day in the capital but we also asked you for your positives and there were some creative responses the kids at forest looking ahead to cardiff and leeds and a new goal of the month feature all coming up as well but before we go any further this season steve bloomers washing is partnered with derby brewing company derby's original craft brewer and you can find us on social as
0: well can't you tom of course you can you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter if you use the handle steve bloomer pod fantastic so anton uh we were
2: there on saturday was that a freak result or did you see something like that coming
1: yeah i mean it, it, it was absolutely awful on saturday and um, there's no sugar coating it um hard to find any positives from the performance to be honest um i have to say brentford were very impressive they they were very good going forward especially on the counter but we didn't help ourselves at all far too many mistakes a a lot of kind of incohesion if that's a word um, amongst the team not enough pace not enough energy and and especially not enough width um, throughout the team
2: it seems it seems to me that Koku hasn't really he hasn't got an idea yet what his strongest team is and he seems to be creating more problems as we've we've had a few injuries we've had a few you know restricted selection problems obviously the Bogle problem we haven't got a right back and that's a big problem but he seems to be creating more mistakes by moving Max Lowe to right back and putting a, a really young kid at left back in, in Buchanan who, who had a torrid time not just of his own fault but he had a torrid time on on Saturday how much of our problems do you think Thomas stemming from individual mistakes and how much of it is is confusion for the system and the way that
0: Koku's trying to play Koku isn't being helped by some of his more senior pros at the moment. There's too many mistakes in that team. Uh, I know we'll talk very briefly on Forrest later on, but um, if you think about people who weren't in the first team lineup, likes of Shinny, likes of Davis, who came in on Forrest, and then you're thinking, right, put in a good performance, you could be in that team. Shinny gave the ball away more times than I care to remember on Tuesday night. Uh, Davis didn't look great. He didn't win headers. And to be fair, Clark wasn't great, or I didn't think, on Tuesday. So you've got senior pros there who are, are making mistakes. And then you come forward to Saturday and we go, right, we'll put in our strongest uh, 11 that we can put out, we've got a few injuries in key positions, arguably our best two players, are either, or best three players I'd say are not quite fully match fit um, or, or injured in Bogle, that would be uh, Marriott and also Holmes um, and so we're we're not at our full strength but then you get Huddleston giving the ball away Lawrence losing the ball, Roos coming flying out of goal but not actually committing a player Keogh coming charging across, there's, there's mistakes left, right and centre there so Cocker isn't being helped by senior senior pros at the moment yeah you touched on some of those mistakes there and let's have a look then at, at the goals in, in more detail if we can bear to
2: do so obviously conceding two goals in the 17th and 18th minutes was the key to the game for Brentford and, and for Derby first Embuemo and then that familiar foe Ollie Watkins for the first one I mean Lawrence he's, he's tried running it out from the left back position but lost control of it about 10 yards and a halfway line in the middle of the park the midfield has already gone with Lawrence because they think he's off on the counter-attack. And then Bellic sells himself too easily, in my opinion, by jumping out of the back four. Watkins then walks it round Ruse, uh, but had had a shot well blocked by Keo, and it fell to Mbwemo uh, to finish off a sliding max low. There was some admirable last-ditch efforts, I thought, from Keo and Lowe in there. But really, it, it did look a complete mess, didn't it, Anton?
1: Yeah, so actually, I... Don't mind what Tom Lawrence was trying to do um, in the build up to, to losing the ball. It's, it's something that we didn't see for the rest of the game. And it was com- completely lacking in terms of the transition from winning the ball back and kind of counter-attacking. So I didn't mind him trying to do that. It was obviously a, a terrible touch to lose the ball. And then he, he doesn't. Kind of track back to to try and atone for his error, but it 's the way we react to that, and the the way we defend from brentford 's kind of counter attack from from winning that ball, um, I think Roos could have done much better as you say. Um, He he came out really well, got to the ball, but he was beaten far too easily. He's got to be bigger there. I mean, you two are the the goalkeeping experts there. But for me, um, he should have done much better.
0: The thing is with Roos, it's not the first time even this season that it's happened. He comes out of goal uh, on Saturday uh, and Watkins doesn't even like beaten properly he doesn't seem to commit I'm not quite sure what he does he sort of stands there and does like a, a sort of mini like long barrier sort of cricket sort of style yeah. fielding sort of thing and Watkins just sort of turns around him and then and then has a shot it's, it's way too easy we saw exactly the same from Vyman uh, against Bristol City a couple of weeks ago just, just I thought bad goalkeeping but The thing that annoyed me most about that is when Lawrence loses the ball and every single derby player in the midfield had thought, right, we've got the ball, we're going to attack. Lawrence didn't look after it, but no one thought, hang on a sec, who's going to sit in front of that back four and just kill the space just in case he does lose it? There was no thought there about what if something goes wrong and it went wrong and we then were all over the place as you say Bielik stepped up uh, too quickly in my opinion but someone had to press the ball in the midfield and maybe the whole defence needed to come up but we were all over the place and Brentford had had men over on us and no wonder they, they tore us apart
2: yeah, the whole defence was completely exposed,
0: and that that's what struck me, and we'll come on to a second goal in a
2: second, but with the first goal particularly, the whole defence is completely exposed, and and yeah, Keo made a good block on the line, and Max Lowe made one good block, and then he almost made a second good block, but the defence is just completely exposed there, and for me, I, I know what Anton's trying to say about Lawrence, just trying to make something happen, try and get forward, but... He was careless with the ball. He just did not look after it. And, and his whole body language, once he lost it, wasn't particularly impressive either, in my opinion. But it, you beat my question about Roos there, Tom, because I was going to ask you, is he making a habit of people just walking around him? Because I think if attackers watch the last couple of weeks, they're going to see, if I take it up to Roos, he's not sure what he's going to do when he comes out against
0: me. If I was Ben Hamer, I'd be sitting there going, what more can I do? Because he was not at fault for any of the goals against Forrest. He made a couple of good stops, in particular the uh, load to his left-hand side. And, um, he looked much more commanding, and the defence looked a lot more sort of uh, trusting in him. And I think it, it's about time that Hamer comes in and and has a go at the number one jersey because every time I watch Bruce, I just I, there's something there which I'm just I don't trust him at all. Um, and there's too many errors um, and too many things that he's not totally at fault for. The one major error we've mentioned before in the playoff final, um, but there's things where you go he could do a lot better there and if he did a lot better we wouldn't be wouldn't be being carved apart like that and wouldn't be conceding sloppy goals Um, and I'd even go as far as the third goal why isn't Roos the one closing down the player Uh, which I know we'll come to again so I'm frustrated with Roos uh, and I think it's about time Hamer gets a go
1: yeah I mean at the same time what you don't want to get into the situation of is, is chopping and changing the goalkeepers every week you do want a bit of consistency but I do have to agree I think um Ruse has had enough chances and he's made enough mistakes now to, to give Hamer the the chance. I think with Ruse's distribution on Saturday it just wasn't very good. I I wasn't very very confident every time the ball came back to him and I felt like we were gonna give it away and, and that's when Brentford could start the press and kind of get at us and they they, they didn't let us out and that all stemmed from Roos and the defence.
0: Well if if we're not going to chop and change goalkeepers why is he playing Hamer in the cup competition? It's not like Roos is a, a senior season pro who's been playing 200 games in his career. I'd be surprised if Roos has played 100, 100 to 150 and for Derby he's played less than 40 I'd say. So it's not like he's He's a clear number one choice here like a like a Scott Carson was a couple of years ago, and we're giving Hamer some game time. There's competition there and those two goalkeepers should be in there, um, competing for that number one jersey quite clearly. Yeah, I think it's interesting what Anton
2: says about the distribution because I think when Keller first took the number one jersey towards the back end of last season, one of the reasons we gave for it was perhaps Lampard wanted a a better distributor and he did show those skills um, last season, but it hasn't been particularly evident so far this season. Personally, I'm very much in the Ben Hamer camp. Uh, I would definitely be starting Ben Hamer after the international break. And I I, I kind of half expect Koku to make a lot of changes. We'll come on to that possibly in the second half. But I do think we'll see a lot of changes after the international break. And I, I would expect Ben Hamer to be one of them. On the second goal, Tom Huddleston. Again, as you said, Tom, Philip Koku is not being helped by his senior pros. We can talk about him rushing in kids all we want. But it's the senior pros, in my opinion, on Saturday that let him down. Huddleston... He gave the ball away in the lot in the first half anyway. This wasn't the only time, but it was guilty party for, for for me on the second one. We've just taken kickoff, and with the whole forward line and midfield ahead of him, he tries a really complacent dink to, to left-back Buchanan, which Canos easily picks off and breaks down our left side feeds in Buemo behind Belek who squares for who squares it for Watkins to tap into an empty net I mean that is criminal from Huddleston isn't it?
1: It was just really naive what, what do you do straight after conceding you want to just get the ball down settle down a little bit and, and think about how you can react to that not give the ball away straight away and for me Huddleston's the, the only one to blame for that second goal really it was a terrible pass and Brentford broke with so much pace like they, they didn't let us settle and by the time we'd realised we'd lost the ball the ball was in the back of the net effectively
0: yeah completely exposed and again as we said with the first goal the problem the defence had is the fact that they, they were like facing the wingers and the forwards from Brentford and it seemed like they had men over everywhere um, when the ball then goes forward excellent break played into the uh, down the right hand inside channel Keogh comes across and we were talking about this before I think he's got to come across because if not um the Brantford players got a clear opportunity at goal.
1: So I, I actually disagree with that. Um, I I think Keogh's got to stay with that man at the far post. You, you've got two men covering running back um, to stop. I think it was Mbuemo running down the, the right flank there. He was in behind Billick, yes, but the angle was very tight and Billick was only just behind um, the runner. So if Keogh stays with his man Watkins at the far post, there's no ball through there. He's got a very tight angle against Roos and Billick has the chance to come back. Keough runs across very quickly and he's stuck in no man's land. He's not going to get to the ball and he's also not covering the man at the far post and in the end it's a tap-in at the far post. Watkins couldn't miss.
2: I think what's interesting with Keough there is that I think I kind of tend to agree with both of you. I think it's probably a 50-50. I think, as you say, Tom, he can make that decision another day and it pays off for him. But with Keough, for me, it follows a pattern. I'm a big fan of Keough, but I think one of his biggest faults is is that he is sometimes too quick to try and run across and cover someone else rather than just stay and do his job and trust his teammates to do it as well. So I think he sometimes, he often gets caught in that right-hand channel, particularly how many times have we seen him go up and challenge for a header which isn't his on the right-hand side or or try and help out Jaden Bogle too much last season and then get caught in behind him. Like he is a bit guilty of, of making those rash decisions too quickly. But on Huddleston then, does Koku have to drop Huddleston now? It's it's ironic for me because he's as old as he's ever been, obviously, because that's the way that time works. <laughs> but, Cheers, <Kutch. laughs> but no, but Koku Koku seems to have put more faith in Huddleston than any other previous manager. He seems he's playing him consistently. And he did pick out the second goal as the one he was most disappointed with, saying the experienced players should know how to kill the game for a period in that situation after you can see the goal. So that for me is firmly putting the blame on Huddleston as as the as the worst part of the whole
0: match. Um, well, the problem that Koku's got, and I alluded to it five or six minutes ago, Graham Shinney could come in and do a job in defensive he midfield. He doesn't fancy him, does he? It was rubbish against Forrest I mean, what do you do? Bellick is clearly not fit enough to play in that defensive midfield position, and in fact, Clark, after a good start. I've, been a bit disappointed with him in the last few games as well and Davis he wasn't very good again on against Forrest so what do you do do you move Bielick in there and run him into the ground for 60 minutes and then uh, replace him with Huddleston but then you have to take the gamble of someone out of form like Matt Clark, or someone who's not quite coming back from injury properly like Curtis Davis it's a really difficult decision for him and he's got to have people step up to the plate and at the moment those Derby players aren't doing that.
1: So I can see why he likes Huddleston. Huddleston is the only player that has that range of passing in in the midfield but to play huddleston you've got to find that balance with the other two that are playing alongside him especially up against a team like brentford who have a lot of pace they break quickly you can't have huddleston as the only deep line midfielder because um, he's just going to get overrun with, with the pace that brentford break with if we can find someone to work with huddleston someone like billick when he gets back to full fitness then it might work we saw huddleston in the first couple of games where he was playing a little bit more advanced it actually did work really well because mm. you bring the best out of huddleston you're not relying on his Um, kind of mobility in his defensive play you're you're bringing him in to, to find the, the passes and bring the forward players in, into the game more.
2: I was going to say exactly that, actually. It's interesting because Koku has actually used him a little bit differently to what other previous managers have used him. And and actually, Saturday was one of the only times this season where he has played a more traditionally, he seemed to be playing a bit more traditionally defensive midfield role rather than um, rather than picking it up a little bit further forward, which seemed to work a little bit because it got him into some more dangerous places to pick out some real like final third passes. But I think when I talk about this a little bit more in the second half of the pod on, on the on Y the a team shape. Let's have a quick look at the third goal because Huddleston is involved here as well. Brentford work a short corner. For me, this is the worst part no pressure. And they could get the ball into the power box very easily to get a shot away, which Huddleston then blocks but only diverts it very poorly to the edge of the six yard box. Canos fires it across, and Watkins has enough time to have two goes at smashing it into the net despite some decent efforts from Martin Waghorn
0: on the line. It's just more dreadful set piece defending, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, I mean, is it Lawrence who's not perhaps shutting the ball down on the the uh, left-hand side of the box? The cross then comes in and there's a sort of block shot. Huddleston skews it away and then doesn't sort of turn around and think, right, there's danger. Uh, the ball comes back across from Kanyos and um, Watkins is at the back post. He's completely free. I mean, who's marking him? Waghorn, using his hand perhaps, but does well to block it on the line if he gets away with that fair play to him. But then the, the space has got to be closed down. You can't just stand on the line and hope for the best because you're just going to get picked off by a player of... Uh, Watkins's quality the defending all day was shocking and for me as a as sort of a, a goalkeeper and having worked and trained and sort of defended set pieces that would be the one that really bugged me because that would that was avoidable just because like you shouldn't be conceding goals like that from set pieces it was a catalogue of errors Um like all three of the goals but that one for me was the most frustrating
2: I mean it just served that Brentford were first at every ball every loose ball game wasn't it Brentford just won every single loose ball all day, including the ones in the penalty area.
1: Yeah, they had just far more urgency than us all day. Um, the, the corner was particularly frustrating because we had several chances to clear it away. And it's something we've seen time and time again over the last few months, over the last few years, that we, we just struggled to defend set pieces. So we need to spend some time on the training ground practicing set pieces.
2: So the second half to my mind was definitely a non-event to be honest I thought Holmes gave us a little bit more energy albeit from right back and and Bennett did similarly when he came on for Dow who had a really awful game a really awful first half coming off after 52 minutes but Brentford just just kept us at arm, arm's length to be honest Anton do you remember anything about the second half which is noteworthy?
1: I mean it was a very slight improvement um, the change in shape did improve us slightly um, the main Um, areas we were getting overrun in the first half in particular were were out wide I think both defensively and offensively um, you spoke earlier about Max Lowe obviously playing out of position at right back got a, a youngster in Buchanan at left back who both kind of tended to drift in a little bit through no real fault of their own, um, but just because they're out of position. Brentford held those wide errors in the attacking play really well. They were really hugging the touchline and, and Buemo and ben Rama, I think it was on the other side, were really dangerous going forward. On the flip side, th- we didn't do that at all um, in having Lawrence and, and Waghorn on our two wings. They were both drifting in, um, in into the central positions, making it very crowded in there. There was no real out ball. I don't know whether that's because lawrence and waghorn are kind of not naturally um wide men they both like to drift into the center or whether it's something to do with the setup of of koku but something needs to change it it did look much better second half um but that was a particularly key area so
0: what you're saying i completely agree with anton and the two things that you asked earlier richard is the first of all is it the individual errors? And yes, it is. But also, is it the fault of Koku? And this is where we have to look at what Koku doing. Is he changing it too much? And the change in system and the change in shape, uh, again, halfway through a game, is it's confusing the players. And Koku's got to take some responsibility for that. And um, we need to settle on a decisive uh, formation and a decisive shape. And we need to go with that. And and decide that's what we're going to do for five, six, seven games to try and get some cohesion, because clearly that's what's lacking. Um, But Koku was obviously frustrated by it. After the game, he said, I feel ashamed about our performance in the first half. I told the players that we cannot accept this, not for me, not for the club, and especially not for the fans. I'm disappointed about the attitude we had all first half. Call it arrogance, based on nothing. The attitude and pressing you show on the pitch is important. If you do not start well in a game, it's hard to play football now. I wasn't there on Saturday and uh, you guys were there's a pretty furious reaction from the fans uh, Rich what do you think about it I think it's probably fair enough it's
2: not my personal style I'm not one to shout and abuse our own players but I'm not one to judge other people that do I'm pretty sure Tom if you've been there and four or five pints down you probably would have been shouting and ab- uh, abusing our players as they're coming off I think what's interesting about Brentford particularly it's probably the One of the worst grounds that an away team can do that and have that performance and have that result because there's very few away grounds or any grounds where the fans have to literally walk straight past the end of a terrace standing up a way end into the tunnel because the tunnel's in the corner it's not in the halfway line it's in the corner so you get a really great opportunity four times a match when they come out and when they go back in for both halves to really let rip it or or applaud your, your, your team and so Koku struck a really isolated figure probably I'm reading way too much into it I'm not you know what I'm not reading anything to it but he was walking by himself his head down he got he copped a lot of abuse from the fans in my opinion probably unfairly i would have directed most of it towards the players but i don't judge fans for doing it because it was an awful first half of football and it was pretty vitriolic but i've also heard a lot worse
1: I I actually thought the fans were very good for for the whole game um, whilst the action was actually going on. There there was chanting throughout, even after the second goal and after the third goal. It was the Derby fans that you could hear and and that carried on right the way through the game. So I I don't think you can blame the fans too much because at half-time and at full-time, it was such an unacceptable performance that the fans are well within their rights to to share their um, anger and their disappointment at the game. Obviously, I, I don't get on board with the kind of personal chance and personal um, calling out of, of the manager and certain players. But the, the fans are well within the rights to, to show that disappointment.
2: I do think that uh, Saturday, hopefully, well, hopefully, I do, I definitely want it to be a turning point. I think it could be a turning point, whether it's a turning point for towards um, worse or turning point towards better. Because by Kaku's comments that you just read out there, Tom, he really does, he doesn't hold back. You know, he says he calls the players arrogant, which I think was probably a fair comment. You know, he said there wasn't showing enough effort and that was based, that was arrogance. That was arrogance based on nothing because they're right. He's right. They haven't achieved anything. Even the players that were here last season, they lost in the playoff final. They didn't achieve promotion, which is what they set out to do. So this team haven't achieved anything. They want to achieve something apparently. So they need to put the effort in to do it. So I think he's right to call them out and he's right to test the character because he'll then see who responds to him in the next two weeks and who doesn't respond.
0: Interesting question for you, Rich. You were at Villa in March. Was this worse? Uh, no, it wasn't worse than Villa. So this is the, this is perhaps what I would say because, I, I mean, Villa was one of the lowest points I think I've had watching a Derby fan as a Derby fan live. Um, so Koku still has time and I think the fans need to Fascinating to realise that. They need to be patient, and some of the uh, some of the comments I saw on social media afterwards were pretty, uh, pretty disgraceful. If I'm being honest, as you mentioned, the calling out of individual players uh, isn't what we're about as a football club and as a supporter base. Um, and I don't want to associate myself with people who uh, would insult players. They're doing their best for the club. Yes, they might not have been good enough. Yes, some of them may well be arrogant. Um, on, on the football pitch but they are going to do their best for the club that's what they're they're paid for and that's what they're there to do so I think this derby team still has a lot to give and we need to make sure that this is a turning point and this is the the end of this sort of bad run and we get those players back Uh, fit we get them back uh, in training and we go out against Cardiff and in a couple of weeks time um, we show the show or they show the Derby fans exactly what we're about
1: we've said it time and time again on this podcast about the need to give him time and we've seen it time and time again in the championship even with Thomas Frank's Brentford they they struggled in their their first few months when Frank took over and it was only towards the end of last season where they started to pick it up and they were absolutely fantastic at the weekend. So we've just got to give him time.
2: So we'll look more ahead to the rest of the season in the second half. But here at Steve Bloomer's Washington, we went through the last few seasons to find a comparable pair of awful results and had to go back to January 2016 under Paul Clement. Do you either of you boys know which results we might be thinking of if you go back to January 2016? I must have got battered by someone at home then. No idea. Like that, yeah. It was a 3 yeah, yeah. nil home loss to Birmingham City. Mm. followed by a 4-1 defeat at Turf Moor. And that was the beginning of the end uh, for Paul Clement. Uh, Obviously, a few other things possibly behind the scenes as well. But we thought we should uh, find some positives and where better to look than on social media for those positives. So credit to our followers because you did come up with a few. Yeah, Kai Smith
0: went with, it's the international break now. And uh, Steve Richards, Holmes definitely. He'll be moved into the middle alongside Bielik after the break. Can't see Dow starting for a while. And Julian Broughton said, we drew the second half. Dean T said, I was at a wedding. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, like that, Dean. I was at a beer festival. Much better choice of a social event. And
1: then finally, Kevin Lee on Facebook. We won't have to go back to Griffin Park again. I'm not sure about that. I, I quite like a trip to Griffin Park, actually, with the with the pubs in the four corners. Yeah. Pleasant away
0: trip. I've had some pretty bad times at Griffin Park, but also some pretty good ones. We scored three in ten minutes. Remember, in the uh, end, I think of 2014-15 season. Yeah, and even last season, we were, we we conceded three
2: goals, but we scored we scored three belters as well. So, hasn't always been bad times at Griffin Park, but not that many wins collected there. Now, we did go into the Brentford game on the back of another. 3-0 defeat. This time to that lot at the other end of Brian Clough Way. Tom, if you think back to before a ball was kicked last Tuesday, what were your first thoughts when you saw that lineup?
0: Um it's difficult, isn't it, because we've now got hindsight, but I have to say when I first saw that, uh, I tried to get a ticket for the game, but I uh, hadn't been to enough games so far this season and as a result didn't and when I saw the lineup, I was quite pleased I'd saved myself the 25 quid or so uh, on that because I I thought there was a there was too much going the other way of um with of like not playing the first team players. We're still not settled into a system, and yet we're then making wholesale changes. I think we made eleven for Scunthorpe. I think it was ten for Forest. If we haven't worked out our best way of playing, and there's some players who aren't performing as well uh, as they could be. Dal, for example, who we haven't mentioned too much on the pod uh, today, but we have done in the past. They've got to be playing that game to try and play themselves into a, into a, some sort of form. Uh, and I think Koku did get it wrong, especially that now looking back in hindsight. So to remind listeners, three academy teenagers started with two others coming
2: off the bench during the game. Obviously, with hindsight, it didn't do us much good on Saturday. But do we have any sympathy with, with Koku's ideas of keeping players fresh for the league? We did play eight games in August in total.
0: Yeah, I I do kind of get that, um, and I do think it was a bit of a pig of a draw, really, because you're getting Forest away. Um, it's it's a it's a big one for the fans, and the fact that we then played a a very weakened side, um, it obviously reflects badly when we in terms of bragging rights, but at the same time I do think there's there is some merit in a bit of cohesion and that's what we're lacking and I think yes okay we played eight games in, in August but the month of August is 31 days long we've got a big enough squad and there are plenty of players who have only played four maybe five of those games we've got a two week break coming up Um, that's when they maybe could be rested and judging by the fact of the Griffin Park result uh, I do think Cocker's got that badly wrong
1: I'm actually going to disagree slightly with what you've been saying Tom um, when I first saw that team I wasn't too disappointed with what he'd put out. I mean, even if you look at the, the defence um, that, that are out there, there's a lot of experience there. We we should be doing much better than the performance showed with, with the amount of experience that was in that back line. We had um, Clark, Davis, Hamer, um, Buchanan, who, who's played both league games in between. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I mean, the, he could have played some more experienced players and he, he could have played kind of higher quality players potentially but you've got to look at the players as well The the players have got to step up and have a better performance than that
2: okay well after the break we will look ahead to Cardiff and Leeds two more tough fixtures to come who should be starting those matches and a new goal of the month feature see you after the break
1: hi I'm Dean Sturridge hi I'm Paul Pesky-Solido hi I'm
0: Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing
2: Welcome back to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County Fans Podcast. After a much-needed international break, the Rams will return to action at home to Cardiff on Friday the 13th of September. Sounds nightmarish, if you ask me, followed by a return to Ellen Road on Saturday the 21st. Looking ahead to Cardiff then, Tom, what changes would you want to see being made by uh, Mr. Philip Koku?
0: I think um, we've got to consider defensive options first and foremost because we seem to be shipping too many goals um, I know that there is a sort of tendency at the moment for some sides to be playing a five at the back but I'd actually like us to see, uh, to see us playing four at the back um, with two in front and I think the two in front would be Belic and Huddleston uh, Belic to do this real uh, grinding physical work and Huddleston to get the ball moving uh, once Belic's won the ball um, at, behind them I would like to see Keogh and Clark give them actual game time together Um, and I don't think Buchanan or Lowe have done badly so one of those two at left back probably Lowe presuming that Bogle's going to be fit that would be what I'd like to see Um, in front of that I think Dow needs a break I think I mentioned last time on the pod that Harry Wilson had a difficult start to his loan spell and I think Dow will come good Uh, but he needs to be taken out the firing line Um, and I'd like to see maybe Waghorn move that wide and Marriott go up top and on the left Tom Lawrence on the left yeah, probably Lawrence on the left. I think we're we're a bit short on options. I don't think Josef Zun is creative enough. I saw a stat this week that he's uh, completed 0% of his crosses so far, which as a winger is probably not good enough, although... Obviously, statistics are not don't tell us the full picture, but it does tell us a lot about Soon Is that he can't cross, which so, isn't good enough.
2: So, in the hole behind this, behind Marriott, then would it be Jason Knight keeping his place?
0: Yeah, I like quite like Jason Knight. He obviously played ninety minutes again on Brent, against Brentford. He had a decent debut, um, and I, I think he's a, a good young player. And we've got, got to keep that
1: balance of youth coming through. Um, so, yeah, I'd keep Jason Knight in there. So, f- I think for me, the number ten role has to, you, you have to give Tom Lawrence a, a shout in there. Um, he's looked very average out wide um, since the Huddersfield game where he drifted in quite a lot um, that's where he looks most dangerous and actually in the second half we saw glimpses of that um, when he kind of turned on, on the half turn drove at the Brentford de- defence just shot wide He he's so much better in the middle um, we saw that at Ipswich um, a few seasons back and we've been crying out for him to get given a chance in in that middle he he just doesn't work out wide. he doesn't provide the width um, like we need Um, I don't know whether that means a change of shape potentially so that he goes behind Wyckhorne and Marriott up top Um, that's something for Koku to decide luckily he's got a couple of weeks to have a think about the best shape
0: I do think that um, can you trust Lawrence to make the right pass if you're playing in that number 10 role you've got to be creative and you've also got to make the right decisions and too many times I think I see Lawrence not making the right decision Um, and yes we're crying out for the Lawrence that played for Ipswich and scored what 10 to 15 goals a few years ago been crying out for that since we bought him and I think personally we overpaid for him um, and I think there, there are better options out there not at Derby at the moment but better options out there for the money that we spent um, at that time and I think Lawrence for me so far has had a disappointing derby career flashes of absolute brilliance and he is capable but not enough consistency
2: so I think Lawrence would be the kind of player that would actually benefit maybe from a run in that central position as Anton said so I, I take your point about the, the kind of the decision making we saw a great example of that on Saturday against Brentford he, he broke in as Anton said he's running against um, up up towards the the back four of Brentford Waghorn and Marriott split Marriott went left Raghorn went right Marriott was really open it was an easy ball through to play him through and he, for some reason he chose to play it to whack on and, and the move broke down and Marriott looked absolutely fuming so I take the point on decision making but he's never been given a consistent run of games there so I would like to see Lawrence Possibly played in the number ten role or in the top of a of a diamond. I, I agree with you, Tom. I definitely play Clark and Keogh together. I think, although Clark hasn't impressed as much since that first game of the season, I think it was enough on show there to show that Keo and Clark could be a good combination in a back four. I'd have obviously Bogle right back. I'd play Maxlow left back. Um, I want to see Bellick play in front of that back four. I think what we did have we what we have seen is Bellic's quite good at filling in. Uh, in left centre-back if the defender goes on the run and, we, and we've seen uh, Clark is, is quite good at that so I think he's a natural choice I would drop Huddleston I'm a huge Huddleston fan but I, d- I just think he needs a, a breather at least possibly to be kept out of the starting lineup for good um, and I would definitely uh, rest Kieran Dow as well and I'd give Graham Shinny a chance no he didn't impress against Forrest uh, he doesn't appear to be Koku's type of player but I think he's another kind of energetic player he looks like he's designed for the championship he'll get about he's got a little bit of quality on the ball as well and I think him next to someone like a Jason Knight or a Tom Lawrence as the, as the third central midfielder uh, could work well and then I'd probably somehow shoehorn
0: Waghorn Marriott and a third person probably Bennett into the front three are you uh, you using the knives that I was sharpening at the beginning of the pod for Tom Huddleston again I'm pretty sure that's the second time you've taken him out
2: yeah I just think I'm just surprised that um seems so wedded to him I just don't think he's done enough in the in the last month to justify starting every single game he's probably played more minutes underneath Koku than almost anyone else probably apart from Richard Keogh or Martin Waggon would
1: be the other one I I think the key with that midfield three is finding the balance um it, it sounds like from Koku's interviews that he does have a plan to move Billick forward. Billick has said that he actually prefers playing centre-back, but it does sound like Koku does want to move him forward eventually once he gets to 100% fitness, um, which will obviously mean Clark should come back at, at centre-back. But it's it's finding the balance between those midfield three. If, if you do have Lawrence in the number 10 role, you need some slightly more defensive-minded players so you can give Tom, Tom Lawrence a bit of a free role. I actually wouldn't mind Huddleston playing in, in that because I think that gives the three um in in midfield very different um kind of attributes you'll have the creative flair of tom lawrence the sort of combative um defensive nature of of Bilic, and then the passing ability of so i I wouldn't mind him staying in the team
2: i think one thing's important to remember is that Jaden bogle will and this isn't putting pressure on him i just think the nature of him as a player will transform that team again because he looked for me he looked in the first couple of games this season, he looked a lot better than last season already. He looked a lot stronger on the ball. He looked like his positioning was already better. He was as dangerous, if not more dangerous, going forward again. And he just offers so much whip on that right-hand side, which we've been crying out for. So you can kind of get away with Martin Waghorn playing uh, on the right-hand side and being more narrow because Bogle will give you that natural width. So for me, Bogle has, was probably the worst player that Cocker
0: could have had get injured at the start of the season. got three words for you guys. Bradley, Paul, Johnson. Would he fit into this team at the moment?
1: I, potentially, but I think if Bilic steps up in, into midfield, you you wouldn't want to play both of those two together um, because they, they'd they play a, a very oh, similar one. Oh, imagine
2: those two and Shinny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Christ. Right, I'm going to shut the door back on
0: Bradley, Paul Johnson. Thanks very much. Moving he's on. Gone,
2: he's gone, Tom. He's gone, Tom. Move on. Move on. For For a bit of perspective, though, it is... Only early to September, and we lost to Brentford at the end of August. And if Waggy had scored those two penalties, as we keep all banging on about, we could feasibly sit- be sitting pretty in eighth. We've taken a point off Swansea, I and mean, when we probably should have won, they've won every the, game since. Yeah, it's the only points they've dropped. So far. Yeah, they've won every game since then and, and before, but also drawn against Stoke when we probably could have lost, but we probably could also have won that game if Waggy had sealed his hat trick, and they're now bottom. So lots of strange things happening in the Championship in August as always, to be honest. Is the league table, Antoine, a true reflection of our season so far?
1: I don't think so. I I think we're actually lower than we should be based on our performances. If you discard the Brentford game on on Saturday, which we um, know from what we've said so far, it was a bit of a horror show. We've actually performed not too badly. You mentioned the penalties, which... could could have easily gone in and and won us games Um, I've I've actually been looking at expected goals um, quite a lot over the the last few months and a lot of the expected goals models for this season I know it's a little bit too early to tell um, with any statistical significance but they have us much higher than um, our, our position at the moment. They have us a, a, up at around eighth um, with those two extra wins. So the signs are there. Um, the, the the stats are definitely showing that, that we're performing okay. We're getting, creating lots of chances. It might not be kind of to, to the eye that we're creating lots of chances, but... The chances are coming in we're having lots of shots and we could easily be higher it's it's only a few points difference to the top six
0: yeah it's too early to, to say anything really about the table the fact that we're what, 19th at the moment um, yes we've lost a couple of games we haven't won since the opening day but we've been competitive in all the games apart from Brentford and I think it's maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence that happened on Saturday uh, that really affected that result um, obviously discounting Forest is a it's essentially a relevant game because it was the uh, League Cup I do think Derby have got the ability, and we've seen that in the squad so far uh, to create chances against teams. We've had an extremely difficult start. We're playing, mo- we've played. so most of the teams who are uh, in the top half, obviously Stoke, the anomaly there, uh, who are currently bottom. Uh, I know Huddersfield are down there, but going away to Stoke and away to Huddersfield, they are tough games. They're they're recent Premier League sides, um, and I don't think I don't think we should really be discounting the fact that Derby. The fixtures haven't been kind to Derby.
1: Yeah, I, I actually feel very sorry for Koku so far. Um, we, we mentioned earlier about the fact that he came in very late during pre-season. The, the fixtures, as you say, have not been very kind at all. And we've also been very unlucky with injuries. So given the, the first 60 days of his tenure at Derby, not much more could have gone wrong. Do you think he's suffering from
2: not being Frank Lampard?
0: It, how do you mean?
2: Um, in the sense that he's not got that, Frank Lampard, cockney Boy, Charm, working the crowd, the bounce, the you know, he's he naturally got everyone on side very quickly. He's got a very kind of um you know, he's got a very attractive style of personality. People are naturally drawn towards him. People say that all the time. He's a very likable character for, for nine, nine out of ten football fans. And Philip Koku, that just isn't his style. That's not his fault. He's he's a very different person. He's never gonna be someone who's gonna start the bounce. And I just felt like some of the shouts. and again, I'm not judging the fans for it, but some of the shouting towards towards him and uh, at halftime particularly of the match people saying he didn't care and look at us blah 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 like he's just for me he's like the anti-Lampard and I don't mean that in a in a bad way he's just a very opposite character
0: they're just two very different people and I think that um, people need to remember that actually Frank Lampard Philip Koku different characters different personalities Koku's going to take time to to get to integrate into this football club I think he's the right man for the job and I'm definitely not doubting him I just want to turn your mind back to just over a year ago. Derby got battered, absolutely battered by Leeds in the second game of the season. We then went to Millwall the week later and it was 2-1. It could have been four or five. Um give it a couple of a couple of games from that. Yes, we picked up some victories, but we then went to Rotherham and lost, and then we lost at Bolton a few weeks after that. Lampard wasn't amazing. We know this. We've talked about it. We got some good results, but the teams we played early last season were much kinder to uh, to Lampard than they have been to Koku so far so if you're going to be judging Koku and, and chucking insults do that in October because if we're still in the same position in October I could understand it more I wouldn't say I'd back it but I could understand it more because we'll have played the decide who maybe we should be beating um, on paper at least and we'll have got rid of most of those difficult teams and so I do think that you've got to give Koku time
1: yeah I mean I'm I'm still 100% behind Koku, and I think he's absolutely the person for for the job. I I, I actually like the fact that he's he's very thoughtful in, in and calm in his demeanour because it, it it actually shows that he's thinking about it quite a lot. Um, we've seen already in in the few games that we've had so far this season that he's not afraid to spot what's going wrong and change it quite early, which sometimes Frank Lampard actually took a bit longer to to do. Um, so that's definite positives. I think we're going to look a very different team um, in, in a few weeks' time once we get players back in and and once kind of Koku's philosophies start being implemented even more. So n- no problem so far. We've still got to give him much more time.
2: I think um, I think it's interesting what you say there, Ranton, about him being kind of a very sensible and considered person and, and consider about what he says. Because for me, it meant so much more when he had a go at the players and called them arrogant and said it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for the club and good enough for the fans. That means so much more. Yeah, he it says wasn't it.
1: emotional yeah.
2: exactly it wasn't emotional whereas Lampard again I, I like him a lot but he was a very emotional person and it was he almost became a bit of a stereotype Lampard last season he'd say something very serious and then make a joke and say something very serious again and then make a joke and it became a little bit of a, a bit of a joke on, on Twitter with some people and Koku just he's very considered like he's not he's not afraid to take a pause in an interview and just stop and think about what he's going to say next part of that might be a language thing but I think part of that is because he's just naturally a, a very very sensible person so one for the uh, Jack Marriott brigade, then two league starts in a row, and I can't believe this—no goals. He hasn't scored. I thought when he plays, he scores. How do you explain this one, Tom?
0: That's the most ridiculous statement <laughs> I've heard. I mean, there's no one's going to score when Derby play like that, uh, like they did on Saturday. I but mean, our
2: worst perform—haven't some of our worst forms been when he's been starting?
0: Well, right, Jack Marriott is an ultimate finisher. Look at the uh, quality that he's got. ...coming off the bench against Bristol City... ...that Derby team uh, had been wasteful in possession... ...wasteful with chances... ...and then suddenly Marriott was running in behind... Uh, ...the defence causing Bristol City... ...all kinds of problems... ...brilliant turn and an instinctive finish into the top corner... That is, ...that is class... ...and if you get him in that team and you feed him... Um, ...he will score goals for this Derby side... ...but if you don't get the ball to him... ...because you give it away on the halfway line like we did on Saturday... ...he won't score goals... ...no one will score goals... ...and in fact Wagon scored a few this season miss those two penalties I'd have
1: him starting up front ahead of Waghorn he's barely been given a sniff so far I I think Marriott has to start with his natural natural finishing ability Um, it's all about how we fit the system around him Um, he's got to be up front he will score goals once we start being more creative and and getting the wide players involved more um, kind of looking more dominant in games certainly than we did on on Saturday you've got to start him and he will start scoring goals Is there
2: not a chance is there not an argument to suggest he's much better as an impact substitute though?
1: I think you could say that about all strikers, though, because coming on after seventy minutes, when the opposi- opposition defence is tiring and, and the game is getting more stretched, it's much easier coming on in that situation as a striker. I'm not saying he should be an impact sub. I'm just asking
2: the questions whether he would be better as an impact sub. And his I reason- still disagree. With well, you. I'm, I'm, ask- I'm asking. There's nothing to disagree with, Tom. I'm just asking a question. If if you think he could be, and you're saying he isn't, and that's fine, but. I mean, I'm a fan of his and his record suggests he should be starting and I'd love to see him starting, but I also do accept the arguments from two managers in the row now who have questioned his fitness and questioned his readiness to start, both of them during pre-season. Now, this season he had an injury in pre-season, which obviously hampered him and that's not necessarily his fault. Last season, the excuse was that he hadn't had much of a pre-season because there was uncertainty around him coming to Derby or staying at Peterborough. I don't particularly buy that as an excuse because there's no reason why you can't get running, you can't get out on the training pitch and you can't make yourself fit. So when does it become worrying from a player's point of view about his fitness and not just a conspiracy theory?
1: I think this season is a little bit different to last season. Um, Koku is, it's, clearly likes Marriott. He, he's tried to get him in a, as early as he can. He didn't want to rush him back because he, he he knows how important Marriott is to this side and and how... Um, how important he is to our our scoring goals. So he didn't rush him back, which is why he kind of came off the bench for a few games. But now he's started the last two league games. Yes, he hasn't scored, but being a striker is all about confidence. Once that first goal comes, the second goal comes, I think he'll go on a, a, a Really important run for Derby and it, the, the goals will start start flowing really quickly.
2: Well, let's hope so. And on the topic of goals and great goals at that, this is the goal of the month feature, a new feature sponsored by The Tap, Derby's iconic Victorian pub on Derwent Street with 10 real ales. So we've chosen three goals of August from Derby County Players, which we're going to debate now and we'll also put a Twitter poll on on uh twitter obviously so the three goals we've decided is tom lawrence's second versus huddersfield jack marriott's uh strike against bristol city and lee buchanan's debut goal in the league cup versus scunthorpe so tom first of all what would be your pick of those three belters
0: three very good goals actually i have to say Uh, i really enjoyed all three of those goals um I've just argued for Marriott, haven't I? So I'm going to have to go with that. I like the um, I like the way that actually Marriott's movement allowed Josef Zun to press into the box, and because of that, it created and opened up the space. Uh, Josef Zun's pass for once was a, a decent one. The turn is outstanding, and the left foot finish into a top corner. Absolutely no goalkeeper. So. Yeah, I appreciate the other two, but I think for me, Marriott is going to be the uh, goal of the month for myself.
2: Yeah, having just obviously questioned Marriott's uh, attributes for Derby, I mean, it is an excellent goal, and I think what it showed is what he can do, pretty much out of nothing. Obviously, it was a Joseph soon pass into the box, but as you said, back to goal, and he creates something which, to be honest, no other player in our team this season would be able to score that goal. So it is a great goal for me. It's Tom Lawrence's goal though. I mean. I don't know how anyone's not picked it up. It is Ronaldinho-esque hips on the edge of the box. Like he completely falls. He shows everything that he can do in that one moment. He, he throws a couple of dummies and then with almost no backlift, just places it into the top corner. And I was watching it in a in a hotel in Burlington, Vermont on the edge of Lake Champlain and I was jumping around. I'm sure there's some people down the street that could hear me jumping around in my boxer shorts celebrating uh, that Tom Lawrence girl. What an image for you. <laughs> I mean, I live with
1: you and so it's not going to be a pleasant image, I have to say the lawrence goal was almost more about the build-up as well um it was such a lovely move on the on the edge of the box i can't remember who who had the little flick and, it, and then bogle kind of turned on the edge of the box played it across the lawrence and as you say a really composed finish in uh just like ronaldinho um the, i was really pleased for buchanan for, for his goal on on his debut coming into the side um in his in an kind of out of position, left-back role, absolutely bombing forward. And, and what a finish it was. He absolutely hammered it into the um, far post as if he's been playing for, for one or two seasons for Derby. However, I am going to agree with Tom on this one and go for Jack Marriott. It's it's just such a, a sensational goal. He doesn't look at the goal once. He, he's got no right to score from there. One turn and just bangs it into the top corner. It's a it's a brilliant goal.
2: So I think uh, just to say on Buchanan, I think what's great about the Buchanan goal is that it's just the confidence he shows in late on in a, in a game. You know, it's almost kind of sudden death type football at that point. And to have the confidence just to charge into the box and just to welly it in and, and not feel overawed or to try and pull it back, which would have been the easy option. It was, it was a great finish and a great moment for him i know for a fact that chris has gone with tom lawrence on the blog but i will defer and i'm pretty sure you're ganging up on me because of my uh cause my marriott <laughs> attack
1: but i'm pretty sure you would have chosen marriott
2: had you not gone for that attack so. <laughs> but we will we will go the uh, steve bloomer's watching decision is the jack marriott goal versus Bristol city so let's see how the uh, twitterati dcfc fans twitterati respond on the poll before we go to Who am I to finish off the episode, we have got a special podcast interview coming up during the international break to be released on Sunday, September the 8th. We're not going to reveal who it is right now. Keep an eye on our Twitter at Steve Bloomer pod for that. But here are a few clues. This player made over 70 appearances for Derby in the 1990s. His favourite teammate was Lee Carsley. And he broke a record while playing for his home country. Now, Tom, Anton, you obviously know who it is, but safe to say an exciting one to look forward to.
0: Yep, very exciting, as all the interviews that uh, Chris managed to organise are. So thanks very much, Chris, for sorting this one out. Yep, so look out for that on
2: September the 8th. So, Tom, uh, I think you've got a Who ram I think it's the first time Anton and I have taken each other on, on, uh, on Who I? possibly.
1: Yeah, the big guns. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who knows? Well, it's been a while since we've done a Who I. So just for to remind you guys that uh, the way this works is I will read out a clue. Uh, at the end of that clue, whoever says their name first will uh, have a guess at which point player i might be describing and this will go on until the person uh, one of anton or richard either guesses guesses it correctly essentially um so the, my first clue for the who am i this week was i was born on october 30th 1988 anton bradley johnson <laughs> good guess but it's not the one cut jacob butterfield also a good guess but not they, the one they, they come as a pair don't they yeah <laughs> they do most definitely second clue uh, I've played for eight clubs six of which have been loans Cutch Chris Martin good guess but not the one he's older than that isn't he probably uh, I think he might actually be younger he might be 30 he's probably. older than us surely I don't know <laughs> looks it <laughs>
1: On anything from you? I'm not sure I have a guess on this so I'll move on. Yeah.
0: Alright, I uh now for Derby County I played 31 times between 2014 and 2016.
1: This is definitely wrong, but Abdul Kamara.
0: Uh no, that is not correct. Um during my entire career I have scored a grand total of 18 goals. He's not a striker then, is he? Very bad one. Oh very bad. Well, we've had a few of those. <laughs> No, he's not a striker, just to give you a, firm, a further clue on that one. I'm going to keep moving on. Oh, catch. Oh, Simon Dawkins. Good guess, but not the one. He scored a few more goals than that, did Simon Dawkins. Um, none of these goals were for Derby during my permanent spell. However, I did score two goals while I was here on loan. One of which was a very crucial goal in front of the away Enter. end at Forest.
1: Oh, I jumped in a bit too early I was going to say Cameron Jerome
0: Ah, oh, good guess but not quite uh, I currently wear the number 5 shirt and play for a team in the North East Ayala it's not Daniel Ayala oh. uh, right, I'm going to, I've am going i got one more clue for you uh, I could often be described as having a pineapple style haircut on my head whilst playing centre back for Derby and centre back for Middlesbrough
2: cut Ryan Shotton
0: boom <laughs> Shot that is the first who ran might have won in years <laughs> well it, it felt like it took years for to re- you to win it uh, Richard that was a the big guns were out but oh, they, yes. they certainly weren't firing shots there. Shot, <laughs> shots fired shots fired indeed
2: okay well thank you uh, on that note of excellence to finish thank you to uh, my housemate Tom Martin all the best thank you Anton thanks Gutch And Rams fans, we will see you after the international break. Before then, check out our special interview on September the 8th.